Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When it comes to the Super Bowl, rational fans can quickly become irrational when it's their team headed to the game. Suddenly, budgets go out the window and hopes of seeing your team hold up the Lombardi Trophy race through your head. And that's where the ticket brokers step in. Knowing the demand is sky high, they offer these fans guarantees to witness history. But what happens when those guarantees are more rooted in fantasy than reality? Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN investigative reporter Tisha Thompson as we talk about how there's no sure thing when you're playing a shell game. Now we present The Wild World of Super Bowl Tickets by Tisha Thompson. It's snowy and 14 degrees below zero the day before Super Bowl 52 in Minneapolis. A man in a silver puffer jacket and a diamond-encrusted watch scurries into the NFL headquarters hotel and greets Drew Rosenhaus, one of football's most powerful agents. Things going smooth, he asks. Very good, Rosenhaus responds before adding, make a lot of money, secure the bag, as our clients say. And with a fist bump, the two part ways. We service a lot of Rosenhaus's clients, the man says, whatever they want. His name is Mike Littman, and he describes himself as one of the larger ticket brokers in the United States. He turns to scan a lobby bustling with middle-aged men before staking out a couch and some chairs for his small team, pointing out other brokers who have already set up camp. There's one at a couch and another at a high-top table near the bar. They're all loaded down with cell phones, tablets, laptops, and by the looks of it, plainclothes security. Runners with backpacks and satchels come and go, dropping off money and picking up tickets. It suddenly becomes clear what's happening here. Nearly everyone in this packed lobby is wheeling and dealing, trying to acquire tickets less than 24 hours before the game. These are not ordinary fans trying to get tickets, but rather brokers trying to secure tickets they, in many cases, sold to fans weeks or months earlier. The practice, wholly unregulated, is called ticket speculation, and it can be found around nearly every type of high-demand event, from the Super Bowl to the Masters Tournament. The scene in Minneapolis last February was a rare glimpse into the dynamics underlying Super Bowl ticket speculation, a wild, secretive world in which brokers leverage inside access to acquire tickets that can be flipped to regular fans, often for many times their face value. And Littman was the rare broker willing to serve as a sort of tour guide during a year-long outside-the-lines investigation. Outside the Lines found no state or federal laws that prohibit the sale of speculative tickets, and sellers are not required to disclose that they don't actually possess tickets at the time of sale. In many cases, fans have no way of knowing until a broker doesn't deliver. They're speculating on the teams, Lippman said. They are trying to predict what the future price is, what teams are going to be in there in six months to a year in advance. What few fans know, he said, is they're selling tickets they do not have. William Gamboa and David Fisher learned about the downside of speculation the painfully expensive way. The two best friends have been Seattle Seahawks season ticket holders for about two decades and were in the stands when Russell Wilson overcame four interceptions to lead Seattle in a 28-22 overtime victory over the Green Bay Packers in the 2014 NFC Championship game. Greatest game ever, Fisher said. I remember we were out in our tailgate lot popping champagne. We were all saying, we're going to the Super Bowl, Gamboa added. While celebrating, they and two other friends searched online for tickets to the Super Bowl matchup in Glendale, Arizona. Gamboa was ready to finally tap an account he'd started just for this occasion. Instead of birthday or Christmas gifts, he'd asked his wife to deposit money in his Super Bowl account. 
To see the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, win or lose, is what I want to do, Gamboa said. They started with StubHub, but Google led them to sbtickets.com, where seats were going for $800 less. I'm not typically the type that just jumps in and buys the first thing I see, said Fisher, who runs a compounding pharmacy. The site's 100% guarantee persuaded him the transaction was safe. They spent $3,000 per ticket, $12,000 for the four. It's a lot of money, Gamboa said, but you don't know when they're going to go again. The tickets were zone seats, where a seller promises seats in a general area of the stadium instead of specific seat numbers. Gamboa and Fisher said they didn't question the email they received from the company confirming their purchase and telling them they could pick up their tickets in downtown Phoenix the Friday before the game. Thinking they were all set, the men requested time off of work, booked their flights, found a place to stay, and packed their bags. But on the Thursday before the game, as he was headed to the airport, Gamboa texted an uncle who had also bought tickets to see if he wanted to meet up in Phoenix. The uncle wrote back, we're not going. The uncle explained that his ticket broker had emailed to say he couldn't fill the order and would issue a refund, plus an extra $500 for the inconvenience. Gamboa then heard of another uncle with a similar story. I hope this isn't happening to us, Fisher and Gamboa said to each other. Standing in the airport, Fisher called the phone number he'd been given by sbtickets.com and asked, Is this something that is going to happen with you guys? Fisher remembered the woman on the other end telling him, Nope, we're good to go. You come on down. We're excited to see you guys. They flew to Phoenix unaware that the secondary market for Seahawks Patriots tickets had gone berserk. For average fans, Super Bowl tickets can be purchased from the NFL only if attached to experiences that cost far more than the face value of the cheapest seats. Experiences, often nothing more than a ticket, a room, and entry to a tailgate party, are sold through on-location experiences, a company partly owned by the NFL, its owners, a few investment companies, and celebrities. In Minneapolis last year, the cheapest on-location packages started at $6,299 per seat and sold out before fans, or perhaps brokers, even knew the game would pit the Philadelphia Eagles and New England Patriots. Face value for similar 300-level seats was $950. The most expensive on-location packages, at more than $13,499 each, were sold out within 24 hours of the AFC and NFC title games. The simplest way to explain how the Super Bowl works is there's no primary market. You cannot buy a ticket at face value, said Lippman, who owns TicketsOfAmerica.com and White Glove International, which specialize in obtaining the hardest-to-get tickets straight from the source, players, teams, sponsors, and other partners who are allocated seats by the NFL. The primary market is only for sponsors, players, and people that have ties with the individual teams. Most fans, therefore, turn to large ticketing sites that, when it comes to the Super Bowl, often list seats sold by ticket brokers. And many of those brokers depend on middlemen like Lippmann to find them their tickets. NFL players are one of Lippmann's best sources. He has spent years establishing relationships with players and sponsors, inviting them to charity events, and coordinating travel for their families with the hope of cashing in favors on tickets. Under the terms of their collective bargaining agreement, every current player has the option to buy two seats at face value. If they're playing in the Super Bowl, they can buy up to 15 tickets. The bigger players and veterans don't sell their tickets, Lippmann said. Their families go, and they really don't need the money. But you've got some players that need it, like to have the extra spending money. They take that ticket, and they resell it for double, triple face value. NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy quoted the section of the CBA that says player tickets are for personal use and not for resale. 
The provision is subject to reasonable safeguards to avoid scalping of the tickets, according to the contract. He said he wasn't aware of any players who've been punished for selling their tickets. McCarthy said the league allots 75% of Super Bowl tickets directly to the league's 32 teams, with each Super Bowl team getting 17.5% of the tickets, the host team 5%, and the other 29 NFL teams just over 1% apiece. The remaining 25% of seats are doled out by the league office. They're sold to players and provided to business and media partners. About 500 tickets are donated to military families and youth football groups, he said. McCarthy said the on-location experience packages were one way for the league to address fan frustration at ticket scarcity. We understand the demand for the most sought-after ticket in sports entertainment, which is why we're trying to be reasonable with the tickets we distribute, he said. In Minneapolis, Lippman worked the phones on Saturday morning before the game to scoop up seats ahead of the competition. Wake up, he told one potential source. Money doesn't sleep. Let's make some money. Littman turned down one player who won at $2,750 apiece for 200-level seats. But he tracked down a couple of Patriots willing to sell their tickets as well as passes to a post-game celebration that would be valid only if they won. He jumped into an SUV with a couple of business partners to meet the players at the Patriots Hotel. He declined to name any of them. Security was tight around the hotel, so Littman told his partner to drop him off near a Starbucks. There, he'd meet with someone in the player's entourage who could escort him into the hotel. Bill Belichick doesn't play around, Lippman said of the New England coach. They have this down to a science. They don't want to be Mickey Mousing around with tickets. That's why we do their dirty work for them. I'll be back in 15 minutes. He returned with several manila envelopes. As the SUV slogged back toward the NFL headquarters hotel, Lippman and his partner sorted through the tickets and passed stacks of $100 bills. Lippmann had plenty of security surrounding him as he settled back in with about 50 tickets to sell. Simultaneously throughout Minneapolis, thousands of fans in Eagles and Patriots jerseys stood in line to pick up tickets they'd paid for and ordered from various companies. The longest line was at StubHub's pickup center, where a line filled with hundreds of customers snaked through the tunnels beneath Target Field. Some of the same runners seen at the NFL Hotel could be seen coming and going from the various pickup locations. At one, they walked past the line and disappeared into a back room located directly behind the table while fans were picking up their ticket orders. That's the big secret behind Super Bowl tickets. Fans may pay for tickets far in advance, but brokers might not have their seats until just before kickoff. It's a common practice for the major events, Littman said, for World Cup soccer, Super Bowls, the Masters. They're selling tickets they do not have. In a different example, Nebraska's attorney general recently filed a complaint against a company called Secure Ticket Purchase, which does business as box office ticket sales. Consumers who place an order for speculative tickets are largely unaware that Secure Ticket Purchase does not have the tickets or any rights to the tickets at the time of the consummation of the sale, the complaint alleged. The company agreed to a $125,000 settlement with the state in December, including language that it would not make any statements during a speculative sale indicating that it already possesses tickets. The company's attorney, Andy Hilger, said secure ticket purchase vehemently denies the allegations that its business practices were either unfair or deceptive to its customers. This action is now closed by agreement of the Nebraska Attorney General and Secure Ticket Purchase LLC without any finding of wrongdoing or liability of any kind, Hilger said. He added that the company does not take orders for NFL tickets without ensuring delivery by its trusted third-party vendors who have permanent seat licenses or otherwise a contractual right to obtain the tickets. 
Littman remembers the week leading up to Super Bowl 49 well. Months before anyone knew which teams would end up in the game, brokers predicted they'd be able to secure wholesale tickets in Phoenix for as low as $1,500 and flip them for about $3,000 to double their money. Remember, that's what Gamboa and Fisher paid to SBTickets.com. But once the Seahawks won the NFC Championship, prices skyrocketed. Having a fanatic West Coast team like Seattle in a West Coast venue in Phoenix, you had tremendous demand for Seattle fans to go, Littman said. He said he got out early and lost about $1,200 per ticket after making good on all his orders. But those who waited end up thousands of dollars underwater for each seat they'd sold. Online, tickets were going for $10,000 and up. On the street, scalper prices were even steeper, $16,000 according to a video shot by one fan. They couldn't fulfill their obligations, Littman said. They busted their orders. A StubHub spokesperson told Outside the Lines the company took a $5 million loss to fulfill orders its vendors had promised. Most other ticketing platforms notified customers they couldn't deliver on tickets. Some offered refunds, but others, including SB Tickets, kept insisting all was well up to game time. A day before the game, Seattle fans Gamboa and Fisher still didn't have their tickets and were becoming increasingly alarmed at the inflated cost of everything around the Super Bowl, from hotels to restaurants. A few miles in an Uber cost them $60. It seemed like every bar they went to wanted an $80 cover charge and $25 for a rum and coke. Even as he drained his special bank account, Gamboa rationalized it would all be worthwhile as long as they got into the game. I started calling, sending emails, trying to get some clarity, Fisher said. Like, give me the specific location, give me some more specifics, and I wasn't getting clear answers. On Sunday morning, Fisher received an email from SB Tickets. They said, we're still trying, still go down near the stadium before the game. Gamboa shot video of his dejected friends walking through the parking lot. They knew what was coming, but Fisher said they were still devastated when the email arrived three hours before kickoff. They basically said, we've tried to fill all the orders, and that's it. In all, the four friends spent almost $25,000 on tickets, transportation, lodging, and food. They ended up watching the game in a hotel lobby two blocks from the stadium. And just when they thought things couldn't get any worse, the Patriots' Malcolm Butler picked off Wilson in the end zone with 26 seconds to go, and the Seahawks blew what had looked like a sure win. The ultimate kick in the face, Fisher said. As a Seahawks fan, it was the worst day for sure. It's behind the curtain, said Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson, who ended up bringing legal action on behalf of Gamboa, Fisher, and others who didn't receive their tickets to the game. It's only when the curtain is drawn back, when something goes wrong, that everybody realizes, oh my God, this is how it actually works. Ferguson attended the game and remembers people complaining outside the stadium. As the night wore on, he heard more and more stories of people who said they didn't get their seats, and by the time he returned to Seattle, his staff was flooded with complaints. It became very clear to me that there was a whole lot more speculation going on than I was certainly aware of as a football fan, the attorney general said. An outside-the-lines review of court records and consumer complaints sent to his office revealed fans spent more than $1.1 million on Super Bowl tickets they never received. Almost three dozen companies were named in complaints to Ferguson's office, including Vivid Seats, the official ticket provider for ESPN. But Ferguson said the worst-case scenario was SBTickets.com because his office had the most complaints from them and the company didn't pay refunds to its customers until after the state sued. Ferguson accused SB Tickets of violating the state's Consumer Protection Act.
In very simple terms, our law says you cannot engage in unfair or deceptive business practice, he said. When SB tickets advertised on their website 100% guaranteed you're getting your ticket, that's deceptive because folks didn't get their tickets. They could not guarantee them because they were speculating. The company's sole owner was Paul Jones, who launched SB tickets around 2013. According to court records, the company reported only $820 in revenue that year, but earned more than $3.2 million by 2015. In a series of emails to Outside the Lines, Jones blamed his inability to deliver Super Bowl 49 tickets on a failed agreement with New York ticket reseller Jason Nissen. I was operating under an agreement with Nissen's company to exclusively provide my inventory that year, Jones wrote. My supplier of inventory failed to deliver. In federal court records, Jones claims to have paid Nissen's company $1.1 million that year. The same records say Jones lost $1.1 million when he refunded money to his Super Bowl customers. In March 2018, Nissen pleaded guilty to federal charges that he engineered a $60 million Ponzi scheme that involved promises he could deliver large quantities of high-demand tickets. In reality, prosecutors said, Nissen used victims' money to pay other investors. Jones, who declined multiple requests for an in-person interview, wouldn't elaborate in emails about his relationship with Nissen. Outside the lines confirmed that Jones is listed as a creditor in the current bankruptcy case against Nissen's company. The Washington Attorney General's office says neither Jones nor his attorneys ever mentioned the Nissen connection. Instead, Jones settled with the state when he agreed to the ticket refund, and he signed a consent decree prohibiting him from selling speculative tickets to Washington state residents under penalty of a $100,000 fine. Many of Jones's former clients, including Gamboa and Fisher, also filed a class action lawsuit that sought reimbursement for expenses they racked up in Phoenix. SB Tickets later filed bankruptcy, resulting in a settlement that, when divvied up among 138 plaintiffs, netted them $211.15 each, meaning Gamboa and Fisher each lost close to $3,000. It was almost like a slap in the face, Fisher said of the moment he received his settlement check two years later, like one more reminder of this awful experience. If you typed sbtickets.com into a web browser before this weekend, you were automatically redirected to a website selling Super Bowl tickets called fanhospitality.com, which Jones founded in 2017, according to his LinkedIn biography. But as of Sunday, the SB Tickets address had gone inactive. In Minneapolis, Outside the Lines went to the ticket pickup location for Fan Hospitality on the day before last year's Super Bowl. It was at a hotel a few blocks away from the NFL's headquarters hotel. There were signs for both fan hospitality and a ticketing marketplace, TickPick, posted throughout a ballroom. Jones was stationed at a computer behind a screen, directing employees who appeared to be fulfilling orders for a line of fans. The next day, at a pregame tailgate party hosted by the two companies, hundreds of Eagles and Patriots fans drank beer, dug into nachos, and played party games. Jones crossed the hotel ballroom to climb on the stage. TickPick CEO Brett Goldberg joined him before announcing to the crowd, We sold 2,500 tickets this year. Goldberg then turned to Jones. Paul Jones is here, he said, the head of business development for TickPick. In an email, Jones later confirmed his employment for TickPick, but added, I do not speculate or sell Super Bowl tickets. He said he sold fan hospitality to TickPick in 2017. Neither he nor TickPick's Goldberg would say if Jones has an ownership stake or any equity in either company. Outside the Lines found hundreds of Super Bowl 53 tickets for sale on both Fan Hospitality and TickPick since at least October 2018. 
McCarthy, the NFL spokesman, confirmed the league doesn't distribute the tickets until January. On the TickPick site, where tickets started at $3,195 as the NFL's wildcard weekend finished up, shoppers were greeted with a notification that seats purchased would be available within a mile of Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium, exact location to be provided the week of the February 3rd game. Last October, the site told potential customers the NFL does not allocate exact seat locations until the weeks leading up to the big game. Our authorized Super Bowl sellers are required to list their tickets as zone listings. Please review our Super Bowl seating chart blog to find out exactly which sections a seller is allowed to fill your order with. As of early January, after TickPick received questions from outside the lines about its procedures, the wording was more explicit. Our authorized Super Bowl sellers may not have secured their tickets yet and are required to post as zone listings until they have received their exact locations. In an email, Goldberg said TickPick considers speculative tickets to be tickets that are listed for sale or sold before an individual actually owns tickets or before the tickets have been allocated to that individual. When asked how the company could have listed tickets long before they were distributed by the NFL, he referred to the company's user agreement, which tells sellers, under no circumstances may you list speculative tickets. Speculative ticket sales on the TickPick marketplace are not allowed, and we have processes in place to monitor this activity, Goldberg said in the email. Ferguson, the Washington Attorney General, defines a speculative ticket seller as someone who sells an item that the seller does not own at the time of sale. Before delivery of the item is required to the buyer, the seller purchases the item from a third party. Ferguson said questions raised by outside the lines prompted his office to open a new investigation to discover if Jones is in violation of the consent decree, an investigation that is ongoing. The decree prohibits Jones or any company he owns or controls from selling, offering to sell, or advertising for sale a ticket to a Washington consumer to any event where he doesn't own or have a right to purchase the ticket within 48 hours. In an email to Outside the Lines, Jones said he has been absolutely in compliance with the consent decree, which in no way constitutes evidence, fact, or an admission of guilt. Neither Jones nor TickPick's Goldberg would say if Jones has an ownership stake or equity in either company. Gamboa and Fisher were furious when they saw video of Jones at last year's Super Bowl. Fisher said the industry should be required to disclose their selling seats they don't possess. He, Gamboa, and Ferguson all agreed that without some regulation, what happened in 2015 will happen again. If people want to gamble, go ahead, but let me know that I'm gambling before I do it, Fisher said. The fact there's going to be another ticket fiasco like this, and somebody's going to have the same situation as us, is crazy. Joining me now is ESPN investigative reporter Tisha Thompson. Tisha, thank you again for making the time. Thanks for having me. So first off, um, it's interesting because it seems that this has been going on for so long, but how did you, from what you were able to tell in the story, but how did you find this story? Well, we, about two years ago, right after I first joined ESPN in, in 2017, we were trying to brainstorm about what is a subject out there that everybody cares about It's kind of universal in theme, and there is nothing more universal in the sports world than tickets. Everybody at some point wants to buy a ticket to the game. It doesn't matter what team, what sport. Um, We all eventually want to buy the cheapest ticket we can get for the best seats we can get. So we really uh, decided to tackle the topic. Um, And what I did, along with my colleagues in the investigative unit, is we sent out what are called Freedom of Information Act requests or Public um, Information Act requests, 
to both the Federal Trade Commission and every state attorney general's office that would release complaints that had been filed by consumers, or in this case fans, Mm -hmm. about things that had gone wrong with ticketing. And we got hundreds and hundreds of complaints back, and it became very apparent that the most amount of money is spent during the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. obviously, because the tickets are so incredibly expensive. And then when you really zoomed in on why people were losing so much money during the Super Bowl, it was because of this concept of speculative tickets. Mm -hmm. So the combination of it being so much money and so many people, and then on top of it, the Super Bowl, which everybody cares about. I mean, it is the most watched sporting event in the world, Um, at least here in the United States, the most Americans watch it, right? So we said, well, let's really look at what happened in 2015 in particular when people lost a ton of money and see if it could happen again. Mm -hmm. And why did it happen? I think the biggest question for me always with reporting is why? Why do things happen? Not just that they happen, but why did they happen and were they prevent, you know, could we prevent it in the future? Mm -hmm. And what can me, the fan, do to protect myself? I'm always looking out for the fan. I'm not looking out for anybody but the fan with these stories. Um, because we're all a fan when you think about it. Yes. Now, one of the things that you pointed out that I thought was interesting was I understand that, yeah, it would make sense that, you know, NFL players, like you may buy two tickets or you're in the game and you are in the game. You may buy up to 15 tickets. Right. But it seems after that, like the regulations of what they are allowed to or not allowed to do seems either non-existent or nebulous or anything where in between. It seems that that whole like drop off of rules is one of the main things fueling this whole insane market. Well, you know, it's interesting. It depends on who you talk to. Some people are like, Oh, it's outrageous that these players are allowed to resell their ticket. And other people are like, okay, well, if they don't want the ticket and they want to resell it, they should have the right to resell it. There's no rules that say that you can't resell the ticket Mm -hmm. on the ticket itself. So you can resell it. I can resell it. People can resell it. For instance, the NFL is more than happy for you to resell a ticket on NFL Ticket Exchange, uh, which is run by Ticketmaster. That's right. its secondary site that it authorizes. It doesn't like it when you resell the tickets on other secondary sites. But there, that was one of our big questions to the NFL. Is, does it say anywhere that you can't resell these tickets? And the answer is no, you can resell tickets. And obviously, there's a huge secondary market. The thing that I I remember sort of being like, whoa, was when Mike Littman told us that the average Super Bowl ticket is flipped two to three times, but sometimes as many as six or seven times before the fan ever sees the ticket. So it's going from broker to broker to broker to broker. There's this whole middleman landscape trying to get tickets to wherever they need to go to get to the fan, and everyone's taking a piece of the action. Now, specifically to the players, In the collective bargaining agreement, it is very explicit about how many tickets they can get. This is one of those things that's like a rumor out there. People had always heard that Mm -hmm. players could maybe get their hands on tickets. But all this time, it's been right there in the collective bargaining agreement. It's in print. And when you read it, it says, you know, please try to avoid scalping. But (laughs) these days, what is scalping? Scalping is actually not illegal in most places. There are, like, local rules that say you have to be within, you know, 300, I'm making something up, but, like, 300 feet from a venue. Sure. You can't street scalp, you know, within a certain radius around the venue. But with the the, um, 
advent of online sales and secondary sales, scalping isn't really illegal anymore. You can resell a ticket. So, I mean, yes, there are isolated incidences um, out there where people say you can't scalp in a certain, like, physical location. But for the most part, reselling tickets is legal. It is interesting you mentioned that because there have been ticket stories, you know, it always seems like whether it's performance dancing drugs or in this case, ticket sales, the people looking to bend or break the rules are always one step ahead of the rules until the rules change. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I remember when, like last time I went to the Boston Garden, there was a guy selling tickets and there was a, I didn't need one, but somebody I was just having to be walking next to me did, but he was right near the door, but he's didn't have them on him. You'd have, he says you have to go over like to the CVS mm, and see the guy. Yeah in the Larry Bird jersey because that was you were allowed to say you had tickets but you weren't breaking the rule if you didn't physically have them on you. Right, those are all very localized rules. For instance, during our research for the story, we went to a Denver Broncos game because it was, you know, the opening game in, in for the NFL. And the guys in Denver have mm-hmm. to wear a peddler's license around their neck saying that they are legally allowed to buy and sell tickets like a peddler. Um, So it really is a very localized rule when you talk about street scalping. It's, it's different in every venue, every town, because it's, you know, a city or a town that's making those rules Mm -hmm. Um, at the state level, most of the States, and and I don't have the number sitting right in front of me. I, I, I think maybe even all the States, but you know, if someone's going to be out there who will say, no, no, wait, you don't have that right. But the vast majority of the states have now passed rules that say you can resell tickets. So, um, you know, I will say this. The police, the local police officers who we've talked to, for instance, we talked to the Denver Police Department. We talked to the Minneapolis Police Department after the Super Bowl last year. They say be very careful when you're buying and selling tickets from street scalpers because once you hand over that cash, you can't get it back. Right. The nice thing about a credit card is if you use a credit card, you can file a fraud claim if you never get your tickets or you get to the door and the tickets you were given weren't, weren't real. They were counterfeit mm-hmm. um, because then the credit card can then give you your money back. A credit, right. if, you know, I mean, everyone's got to make their own choices, but if it was me, I would always use a credit card if I have that option mm-hmm. when I'm buying tickets because it does offer you a certain level of protection. The other part of it is going back to what you said, you know, how the NFL does have that agreement like with Ticketmaster and ticket resales. If what I would, part of what I found was fascinating about your story is the people that are being fleeced here or being left out in the cold or whatever you want to use, like whatever the circumstance for each, each one of these complaints uh, has is these are the diehard fans. Like these are the fans that would, uh, they're like, oh, wait, so-and-so has a new alternative uniform or jersey this year. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy the new hat. I'm going to buy – like these are the, the hardcore – My even my, my disposable income is going towards the NFL kind of fans. It just, it's crazy that they would add or the NFL would not just say, hey, listen, if you want to sell your tickets back, NFL players, you can through our website and we will give you – the commission or whatever, or whatever the extra money is that's made in order to make sure that our biggest fans are able to get into the game. Like that's the part that I was kind of lost that the NFL has these unbelievable diehard fans and they are the ones that are like out of just fanatical desperation getting just host. Well, I think the NFL would say 
that they do offer an opportunity for players to do that on NFL ticket exchange. But now you're talking about a free market. You're talking about how much money can I get with, for the least amount of inconvenience. And right. I think that the Mike Littmans in the world would tell you that they make it very convenient to do business with them. I mean, that's it. That's what, that's his bread and butter. That's what he does. And it's all he cash. spends all year building relationships with players um, and, you know, sponsor people who have access to these kinds of tickets. It's not just players, of course, mm-hmm. but it's also sponsors, partners, people who will get those tickets. Yeah. And he's been doing it for two decades. I mean, this is what makes him successful at what he does. And so, yeah, he'll give them cash and they know that he's good for his word. Right. Whereas, you know, they, they, maybe they won't get as much money in another situation or maybe it's more inconvenient so for all I know, and I, you know, I'm not going to say that I can't I'm very careful not to speculate when I'm talking about speculation, mm-hmm. but in theory, a player could be listing tickets on NFL ticket exchange right. and that's all above board. Mm-hmm. Whether they get the, the amount of money that they can get from a broker like Mike Littman, that's a free market. You know, they're going to go where they can get the best deal. I did watch Littman last year at the Super Bowl in Minnesota turn down players because they were asking for more money than he thought was reasonable. So to use a real-life example, there was a player that wanted 2750 for a 200-level seat. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> a face value for a ticket like that was upwards, if I remember correctly, more than $1,000. I don't think it was quite about $2,000. And so... Littman wasn't going to be able to make much of a profit on that ticket because by that point, 24 hours before the game, the get-in price had fallen to low 2000s. So he turned him down. He said, no, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take that price. Um, So, you know, it it truly is a free market out there, the 24 hours before the Super Bowl. People are offering certain prices and they're either being turned down or they're being accepted. I mean, I remember Littman and I were standing over the sort of like a balcony overlooking the NFL headquarters hotel where we could just see brokers everywhere we looked. Mm-hmm. And he said, and it was his quote, you know, they're wheeling and they're dealing. This is the, this is a commodities market. This is the pit. And instead of, you know, figuring out soybean prices, they're trying to figure out the prices of, of Super Bowl tickets. That scene from the hotel lobby. Uh, is it just, is it like, as you say, it's like the NFL headquarters. And, and so you have these high-level executives who are there for the game coming in and out of that lobby, but they know exactly what they're, wa- like what they're walking through, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it seemed like the biggest open secret that anybody had ever told. I mean, everybody there knew what was going on. We were there for much of the Saturday before the Super Bowl, and, you know, you saw all kinds of famous uh, football players who had all come in for um, different parties and receptions, and some of them were staying at the hotel. You saw agents. Um, and, I mean, for instance, we, we featured Drew Rosenhaus, who's mm-hmm. one of the most powerful agents in the NFL. As soon as Littman walked in the door, he, he literally ran into him. Mm-hmm. And they chatted for a couple of minutes, and they caught up with each other, and then they parted ways because they had business. Yep. I mean, it is the center of where everything's happening. And the smart fans are hanging out. Mm-hmm. waiting to see all these famous people come and go. But that lobby was filled with brokers. And I said to Mike Litton, and I said, now, if I'm a super fan, 
do I come to this hotel and try to buy tickets off of someone like you right now? He said, yeah, in theory, you could do that. And we actually watched a couple of fans buy tickets from him. He said, but it's dangerous because you don't necessarily know who you're interacting with. It's just like doing a cash sale with a street scalper, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know who you're working with unless you can get their bona fides. And in his case, you know, he spent some time explaining who he was and his clients would look him up online and he did a credit card sale um, while we were sitting there watching him. But he, even Mike Littman, cautioned that, you know, that may not be the smartest way to go about about getting tickets. So my next question about Mike Littman is, and the others around there, what do these guys do to protect themselves? Like, how do they feel safe with, they're walking around with tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, they've got serious security. You may not see it, um, but they've got, every one of them had a, had more than one or two planes closed security officers walking with them. And I don't mean to say officers in terms of police officers, though, for all I know, they could have been off-duty police officers. Mm -hmm. They were very careful. Littman, for instance, barely ever actually had the cash on on his body. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is. It's a cash business. I was very conscious of it because I realized there was a lot of money moving around this room. Mm -hmm. Um so, yeah, I mean, it, it made me uncomfortable. I'll tell you that. It's yeah. very rare that you see that many $100 bills being passed around. But they're smart. They know it. They all have security. And so while there were so many of these complaints that you found, it seemed that uh, Mike Lippman, who gave you that access, is he in the is he in the minority or not? Because like, he seems like while he's the ticket broker, like using these – you know, non-traditional ways to acquire these tickets. He seems that he has some sort of a code in a way where he would never, he's not going to offer to sell something he doesn't know that he has. Well, so he, he says, I actually asked him that he says there are hundreds of ticket brokers out there. I think the number he gave me was there were about 800 ticket brokers out there that he works amongst. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of those ticket brokers are are good guys. They're they're there to deliver their tickets mm-hmm. because they've been doing it for years and years and years, and their reputations are staked on the fact that they need to deliver these tickets. He said every so often you get a handful of folks that don't deliver and give them all a bad name. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think in 2015, even some of the best well-known ticket brokers just ran into all kinds of trouble because 2015 was the rare year, whereas more and more time went by, ticket prices kept going up, up, up. What we found in recent years is the trend, generally speaking, is prices will go down the closer you get to game day because demand is falling and they've got tickets and they want to unload them. It's just like like street scalping. You know, if you wait until after kickoff, the price of a ticket suddenly drops because those tickets are now worthless, Mm -hmm. right? So some of the best deals you can get is after kickoff. You hear the cannon go off or you hear the yelling and the screaming and you turn to the street scalper and say, okay, give it to me for 50% face value. You might, you might get a deal. Mm -hmm. That's the way I grew up. I always watched people I knew do it that way. Right. Well, so it's kind of that same logic. The closer and closer you get, the more nervous, the brokers get. Mm-hmm. So if you can play that waiting game, it normally works for you. That being said, you never can predict this stuff. Everybody wants to know when's the best time to buy tickets. I'm like, man, you got to make your best decision that you can possibly make by watching ticket prices. And in 2015, everything was in reverse. There was so much demand 
and the tickets were not available. They were very difficult to get their hands on. And there's all kinds of theories out there about what happened. There's rumors that, you know, some, some mega brokers were cornering the market. Mm-hmm. But the one thing was for sure was that the prices were going up, 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 up. And so a ticket broker who had thought that they could get their hands on a ticket for $1,500 and then resell it for $3,000, suddenly had to buy that same ticket for $10,000, which put them $7,000 in the hole. So some brokers got out early and said, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to be able to deliver your tickets. Don't travel to, you know, don't travel to Phoenix. Don't come on down. And I'm going to give you the price of your ticket as maybe some extra cash uh, as a, as you know, sorry for your trouble. Mm Mm-hmm. Other brokers didn't do that. Other brokers sort of told folks, I mean, in the case that we talk about specifically in our yes. story, SB Tickets said, mm-hmm. come on down, we've got your tickets, and kept stringing people along. And then even when they never even got into the game, even after kickoff, even when they know that they're not going to get their tickets, they still didn't even get their refund. SB Tickets said, we're going to send you a refund, but they never did. And it wasn't until after the Washington State Attorney General got involved that any of those fans from SB t- who bought their tickets from SB tickets actually got a refund. Some of them had already started processing it once again through their credit card companies saying, look, this is a fraud. Please give me back my money. So some of the, some folks had started to get that money through their credit card company, but there mm-hmm. was actually a class action lawsuit. I mean, it just gets so messy, right? You know, it's like you end up spending more time and money trying to get your money back. You know, anyone who's ever not gotten something mm-hmm. knows that incredible frustration of having to prove that you can get something. Right. And it's just so much aggravation. And the, the two guys that we interviewed said it took more than two years for them to finally get their check from the class action lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And it was such piddly money. You know, they'd, they'd each spent over $3,000 on hotel, right. travel, food. You know, the Super Bowl is an expensive experience because everything is at a premium. Yeah, the, what, the, the, the $25, $25 rum and coke, right? Right. I mean, I mean, I think, that you know, that in the $60 Uber ride to go two miles, right. you know, it's just everything is so expensive. And when we were in Minnesota, a hotel normally that's $150 was, you know, $800 to $1,000. Mm-hmm. And they were all sold out because oftentimes a lot of the very savvy brokers out there and and travel agents they they buy up blocks of hotel rooms mm-hmm. so it's it's not an average market you know the 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 whole town can be sold out on you especially a town like Minneapolis it it only had a limited number of flights and the whole town was sold out so you mentioned um SB tickets was a big part of the story and and part of it is like what you've already said but also how the the guy running SB tickets sort of found another loophole in sort of leaving SB tickets behind in a, you know, a bankruptcy laden mess and started a new company that he was working with. Now, well, the- we have to be careful here because I want to make sure we get the facts right on this one. He, he, well, right, he has a different had, title. He'd start, well, he had started a second company called fanhospitality.com. Mm-hmm. And when you would go to SB, I mean, I did it a bunch of times. When you went to SBTickets.com, you typed in SBTickets.com, mm-hmm. it would automatically redirect you to FanHospitality.com. Mm-hmm. 
the guy who uh, who started both of these companies, his name is Paul Jones. Paul Jones told us in an email that he sold fan hospitality to yet another company called TickPick. TickPick is a pretty large secondary uh, ticket reseller marketplace. They call themselves a marketplace similar to StubHub. Mm-hmm. And on Paul Jones's LinkedIn page, he says that he is the head of business development for TickPick. What that is, we're not totally sure. We did right. ask Paul multiple times to do a sit down or even a telephone interview with us and, and he declined. He did talk to us in some detail um, via email about um, what happened in 2015, but he never really wanted to answer our very pointed questions. You know, we would say, can you tell us more? Why did this specifically happen? And he would give us sort of generalized answers. I think it's really important that I say right now that he claims that as of today, he does not sell Super Bowl tickets, nor does he engage in speculative ticket practices. Um, but what we saw with him standing on stage as the CEO of TickPick bragged about the fact they sold 2,500 Super Bowl tickets at last year's Super Bowl with Paul Jones standing right next to him as the head of business development was enough for the Washington Attorney General's office to open a new investigation into Paul Jones to see if he's in violation of a consent decree, which is essentially a settlement that he signed uh, with the Washington State Attorney General saying that he would not sell speculative tickets to any Washington state resident. The Washington state attorney general can only make it applicable to its, to Washington state. Mm -hmm. So that consent degree is very complicated and there's, there's lots of nuances to it. Um, But Paul Jones says that he's not violated that consent decree. And he says that consent decree never was an admission of guilt for him, that he never admitted to doing anything wrong. And I I need to say all that because we need to make sure we tell his side of the story as much as possible, too, even though he wouldn't actually sit down and do an interview with us. Okay. Well, is there going back to some of the other the availability and the secondary market that the the controls? Um. You know, if you want to go to the Masters or the NCAA tournament, like a couple other events that I think, you know, Mike Lippman had mentioned that sort of get the little, the sort of treatment. There are, though, some lotteries you can enter to go to some things like that. Why is there, of the 25% of the tickets that the league controls, um, why isn't there more, like, just that out there? Just for the possibility that, I mean, I know that they, they do that for like season it ticket holders. It used to be holders. a lottery for the Super Bowl. The NFL used to have a lottery. Okay. They used to have a lottery for the Super Bowl, but that's gone away. And mm-hmm. in its place is now this thing called NFL on location experiences. And it was created, the company is owned by, in part by the NFL, by some NFL owners and some investment companies. It was in the beginning, uh, celebrities like John Bon Jovi were involved in it. And, what what NFL on location offers is a ticket is along with some kind of experience and like the cheapest packages that you can get are often three times face value and mm-hmm. for that for that deal you get a ticket in the 300 level of the Super Bowl and then you also get access to a pregame tailgate party inside the perimeter as the NFL calls it and they say that it's you know the highest fanciest party that you can get into and they look at it as a VIP experience I then said come on man it's three times the price of a face value ticket that's the only way you can buy a ticket directly from the NFL and they said we think it's 
you know, an opportunity. We think we understand how fans feel and we're trying to come up with a way to oh. offer them something that they think that they want. Um, so that's how the NFL feels about it. And I let people at home make their own decision about whether an NFL tailgate party is worth three times face value of the ticket. But as of right now, that's the only way you can get a quote unquote guaranteed ticket from the NFL. Um, they also recommend NFL ticket exchange. They claim that those tickets are guaranteed as well because those are the two platforms that the NFL officially endorses. That being said, as I've been watching prices this year, I watched prices last year, they are roughly at least three times face value mm-hmm. um, from what you know a player can buy the ticket for uh, as part of the collective bargaining agreement, which, which last year and this year was $950 for the cheapest tickets. So those scenes, I mean, you had a, a couple of them in your piece um, that you portrayed of the of fans watching the games in hotels a block from the stadium, and those are pretty packed. Like, is that how big this gets? Like, it's a common theme that those hotel bars are filled with people who just weren't able to get tickets, or is that year it was? So if you, so, it was the Seattle Seahawks versus the New England Patriots in 2015 in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And as Littman, Mike Littman, the broker, said, it was a West Coast venue with a fanatic West Coast team. Mm-hmm. You know, Seattle's very famous for the number 12 jersey. Yep. If you ever go to Seattle, you'll see the number 12 everywhere. Well, that's the 12th man. That's the fan. And, um, and pretty much everyone we interviewed for the story was wearing the number 12 jersey, including the Washington Attorney General, Bob Ferguson. I mean, yep. it is truly... It is a football town. They they love the Seahawks. And so because they were close enough, a lot of people just got in their car and drove. Um, and so folks either tried to buy tickets beforehand or some folks got in their car and drove on down thinking they would be able to buy tickets down there. That's in part what fed the demand. So as a result, all of the hotels were packed with people. And uh, the two guys that we interviewed, um, David Fisher and William Gamboa, they said when they went to try to find a place, when they realized they weren't going to get their tickets anymore, and they were trying to find a place to just at least watch the game, there were all these places where you had to pay a cover, Ugh. sometimes in the hundreds of dollars, just to be <laughs> able to get access into a hotel lobby. And wow. so they were able to find this hotel. That was a hotel lobby. That wasn't even a bar. Right. And it was just tons and tons of people who weren't able to get into the game trying to watch the game somewhere in minneapolis last year i walked around after a kickoff to see if that same phenomenon was happening and for the hotels that were pretty close to the venue yeah there were definitely super bowl watch parties mm-hmm. um where you had to you, you either had to pay to get in or you had to have been invited you know there mm-hmm. were private parties the farther away you got you know within a couple of blocks that had greatly diminished do you think that this Super Bowl ticket market, do you think that's this is something that, like, that, like in the future, do you think there needs to be regulation, or do you think that the league would say, well, we have sort of regulated, it's a free market economy, go nuts? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, so, I think many a broker would tell you, no, 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 leave us alone, we got this figured out, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I the brokers the NFL, have it figured out. The NFL's not super interested in regulation. <laughs> Um, but I think for the for the average fan, particularly a fan like Dave and William, who have been through this and lost and lost thousands of dollars that they're never going to get back, 
um, they definitely think that there needs to at least be some kind of rule, law, regulation that requires ticket sellers to disclose the fact that they do not have the ticket physically in their possession Mm -hmm. when they take your money, when they charge your credit card. I've talked to folks that are, you know, I've talked to all kinds of experts, not just for this story, but for just the whole topic of ticketing. Um, I talked to a former CEO of Ticketmaster who agreed, you know, we need to, we need to disclose that uh, we don't have the tickets because once again, depending on who you talk to, there's quite a few people who think there's nothing wrong with speculation Mm -hmm. that it can actually give the fan quite a deal. You might be able to get the tickets for cheaper if you're willing to buy in early, right? right? Uh, I'll be honest with you, prices don't generally reflect that. Prices Mm -hmm. tend to go down. Um, But, you know, there are people out there that want to take that gamble. But as Dave Fisher, one of the fans we interviewed, said, that's fine. If somebody else wants to take the gamble, that's fine. At least let me know that you're gambling, that you might not get the ticket because there's fans like me. This is Dave Fisher talking. There's fans like Dave Fisher who don't want to gamble. They want the sure thing. And they would choose to pay more money to know that they have somebody who's got a ticket physically in their hands than to pay less money for someone who's speculating. So there is, there is fan demand Mm -hmm. for some kind of regulation that we require disclosures at the very minimum. So my last question is if you were going to the Super Bowl this weekend Based on all your infinite knowledge you now have of this chaos, <laughs> as much knowledge oh, as you man. can have of chaos, what would your strategy be to try to get tickets to Rams Patriots this weekend? First of all, it is a lot of money. You know, covering this for two years, there were moments where you start to lose sight that we're talking thousands of dollars. We're not talking a couple hundred right. dollars. I mean, we're talking so much money. It is a lot of money. Right. So you're, you're, yeah. you're thinking like, hey, are they going to, are they going to, they're not going to do Hamilton and then the Super Bowl, right? Because <laughs> I mean, I'd probably is, pay for that. These are expensive tickets. The cheapest ticket that I could find last year for sale was on the day of the Super Bowl. And this was on the online marketplace. Online, there were still tickets that were available for twenty-two dollars to $2,400 per ticket up mm-hmm. in Nosebleed. Whoa. That was the day of the Super Bowl. That was the cheapest ticket I could find online. Later, about, I want to say, 15 minutes before kickoff, tickets had dropped down to $1,600 with the street scalpers. But once again, who knows if those tickets were real, right? Right. So, I mean, I, I will tell you that numbers show that the very worst time to buy is in that 24 hours after the NFC AFC championships, that, mm-hmm. that Sunday night to Monday night when you finally know who's going to the Super yeah. Bowl because like, those are the fans that are buying like crazy. Right, the purchase even of passion. Before them, yeah, even before then, prices are kind of high. Yeah. Um, and then last year in particular, in the 24 hours after the NFC AFC championship, they were in about the $5,000 range, and they dropped – by $2,000 into the $3,000 range by that Friday. Mm. And then over the weekend, they kind of stabilized and they were in the $3,000 range in the days leading up to the actual physical Super Bowl, that you know, Super Bowl week. But within 24 to 48 hours, they were dropping down into the $2,700 range. And then by the day of the Super Bowl, $2,200 to $2,400 was the get-in price. Um, so... This year, so far, it's kind of following that trend. Prices are definitely lower, 
than they were last year. Uh, I had brokers tell me that their dream matchup based on the four teams that they that they knew might make it to the Super Bowl was going to be the Saints versus the Chiefs because the Chiefs <laughs> hadn't been the Chiefs hadn't been to a Super Bowl since the sixties. Yeah. And the Saints have a very large regional base that lives very close yeah. to Atlanta. So for the brokers, the best ticket prices, the highest ticket prices were going to be those two teams. Well, guess what? Neither of them made it. Nope. So instead they were stuck with, I shouldn't say stuck. That's not fair because there's lots of Patriots fans who want to go and there's lots of Rams fans that want to go. True. Um, but the Patriots have gone a lot. They've had many an opportunity. Yes. So the demand isn't as strong coming out of New England. And um, the Rams, L.A., it's really far away. Mm-hmm. So the broker said that there was going to definitely be demand for the really high-end, high-roller tickets because sure. of Hollywood money. But for sort of that average Joe price, which still is in the thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. um, that it is the lowest demand of the, of the four teams that could have gone. So tickets have dropped. I mean, they got down below the prices, um, the, the lowest prices that I saw last year. They got down into the $2,000 range already. Mm-hmm. They've popped a little bit. Um, so I always say to folks, you know, I can't make the decision for you. You've got to just watch the prices and you got to get to a range where you're really comfortable and know that prices can always go up, but they can always go down too. Within the 24 hours before the Super Bowl, if you're living in Atlanta, mm-hmm. And you won't live or die if you don't get into the Super Bowl. You might want to wait. You might want to wait and see what the prices are the day of the game. Well, I'll be watching from my house. But if anyone asks for one, <laughs> if anyone asks for one, I'm going to charge them twenty five bucks for a Roman Coke. <laughs> I don't know if the man's going to be that good for you, man. <laughs> I've got a pretty sweet couch, Tisha. I mean, that is the thing. Don't ever forget that a game sometimes is most fun with the people that you're sitting around watching it with. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for all your time on this. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.